Welcome to the Raiseology Podcast with your host, pediatrician and parenting mentor, Sharon Somek, here to empower parents to raise resilient and independent children. Grab your coffee or your margarita and let's get started. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should be used to supplement rather than substitute the care provided by your physician. Welcome to the Raiseology Podcast. I have with me today Avivit Ben-Aaron. She is the founder and clinical director at Great Speech Incorporated and Great Tutor LLC. She prides herself on being an advocate for the best in speech pathology services for children, adolescents, and adults, and a pioneer and visionary for the future of speech pathology and interactive tutoring. Hi, Avivit. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me join this podcast. I'm a big fan. I love listening to your podcast. So they're really very informative. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family? Sure. I am a mom of four boys. My oldest is 17 and my youngest is two. So I'm experiencing sending a son off to college at the same time as I'm going through toilet training. Um, so I have a quite a mix of things going on in my house all at the same time. Um, my boys are, one is, like I mentioned, a senior, one is a freshman in high school, one is in fifth grade, and one is in a, a baby, uh, um, in nursery school. And it's really very interesting to see the evolution, at least my personal evolution in parenting from my oldest to my baby. Um, and I'm really enjoying this baby phase very much and I'm holding on to it for dear life as long as I possibly can because I really do realize how quickly it goes away and they become teenagers and they don't need us to read them bedtime stories anymore or hugs and kisses as much so it's really so precious um, to see their development and it also helps me a lot when I work with different age ranges with my own clients um, how what are some things that could be helped to somebody who's in high school or middle school or elementary school versus the little kids as they develop their language skills. So I really get to experience it both as a parent as well as as a professional. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I find the same to be true for me that having such a wide range of ages in my home helps me develop the content for the podcast helps me answer questions in a very different way than if I wasn't having that experience at the same time. So it's something that I definitely appreciate and think about a lot too. I have you here today on the show because um, I would really love to talk about and do an episode on how to develop language skills in children and what is it that we as parents can do to make sure that we're setting up our children in the best way possible um, to have the best start. And then as we go through and they get a little bit older, what are things that we can do as parents to further their language skills? Absolutely. And I so appreciate that you touched on the fact that language development does not end when the child begins to talk. Um, and I think most people forget that as kids get older, there is a lot of room to help them develop good language skills and in turn also very good academic skills. So we kind of need to think of a child holistically at what stage are they in terms of their development and how can we reinforce it? So I always look at little babies and especially now when we work, um, we see a lot more technology being infused in 
children's world. And who am I to speak? My whole model is working on technology and using web conferencing technology to interact with our clients. So it almost sounds counterintuitive for me to bring this up, but I do find that there's got to be balance. And the use of technology with with children needs to be within moderation with every like everything else in life. So when we communicate with especially with the little little ones, so I'm talking about the three months, six months, eight months old, it's really imperative throughout their development that we really spend a lot of time talking with our children. There should be a lot of language going on in the house when the babies are around. The more words they hear, the better it is for them. So narrate everything you do. If you're washing dishes, talk to your baby who is right there and tell them, oh, now I'm washing my dishes and then I'm going to dry them and then I'm going to put them away. And it really helps to build a lot of the social emotional connections as well as some language skills. So it's really, really imperative to engage in conversation with your baby. Yes, they don't speak back. They don't talk back and that's okay. But you do want to make sure that you're communicating with your baby and you're constantly immersing them in language. And as they get a little bit older and you're starting to get more reciprocal connection and you're starting to get some more responses from the baby, you want to then use very specific language. So try to avoid concept like, oh, bring it over there and put it on on top there and use more words like put it on top of the dresser, put it inside the drawer, put it inside inside the cabinet, whatever it is, just want to keep the conversation going, the words flowing around your children and vocabulary to be a major focus in your house. When reading a book, talk about the pictures, talk about what's going on in the story. Oftentimes there's no need to actually read the words that are in the story. You can make up your own story as you look at the pictures and help your child come up with their own story about the books that they're reading. So conversation is a must in the house. Um, Can I ask you a question? Sure, of course. At what age would you say you started or you recommend that parents start reading a story, reading stories to their kids? At birth. At birth. It sounds, okay, what would the child understand? But again, it's a way to reinforce the idea of words and language around the baby. So just getting them used to sitting there um, and, and simple books, nothing doesn't have to be anything um, of great length, but just pictures, just animated pictures, anything that, that reinforces feeling and touch. The touch-feel books are amazing uh, around three and five months as kids begin to develop more skills. And you can even take their hand and put it on top of the the, the page where they, there's like a different texture and have, the, you know, talk about the texture. This feels soft and this feels rough. Just keep the conversation going. Um, a lot of parents find that that's their time to kind of connect with their babies um, and a book kind of keeps it within like a context. It gives it almost like a frame a framework of, okay, instead of just talking to a baby who doesn't talk back to me, I'm going to read them a story. And that's beautiful. Um, narrate books, the repetitive books, like the brown bear, brown bear that repeat themselves. Those are great around the six to eight months stage. So the kids begin to recognize some more colors, some more, um, some more animals. And of course, that's to be continued throughout their development. This is not something that just should stop after uh, they turn a year. These kind of books can really serve them up until a year and a half and two years and even two and a half years. There's nothing cuter than a two-year-old who sits there and tells the story of Brown Bear, Brown Bear independently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at some point it becomes so much that you're like, I can't hear this book again. But it is very, very, um, it's a great way to learn, to teach kids to focus, to attend, 
to develop language. These are skills that are separate even than the actual wording of the book. It's just the idea of sitting and focusing for a few minutes on one particular task, I think is very important, especially nowadays. Yeah, it's funny that you've mentioned that because then one of my favorite videos I have of my oldest daughter is when she was around two and she's reading, reading a book to us. Right. And she, you know, and it's like verbatim. She just remembered all the words, but it was so, it's my cutest, most favorite video of her. Absolutely. And, it, and you know what? Not only do they remember the words, they also learn from that our intonation and how we vary our intonation. So the more animated you are at home, the better it is for a child because that's kind of how they learn that there's different ways to use their voices to get attention. So, you know, even when you're narrating to, to a baby, use that high squeaky mothery's kind of voice that helps to, to catch the baby's attention. The more monotone you are, the less attentive they tend to be. That's what studies have shown. So they're drawn to the high frequency varied intonation, which makes sense. We do the same. We gravitate towards people who are very, um, who tend to be more animated and we pay attention to that. So it's the same thing with when you talk to babies is you want to keep that verbiage, but you also want to make sure that you're, you're animated, you're expressive with your voice and you're expressive with your face. Yeah, that's great. And then, um, I guess as they get closer to that first year being over and now you have toddlers, what would your recommendations be there? Again, lots of conversation, following directions, giving them more than one step at a time. So give me the ball and the sock. And can you go get me the book and the the garbage can? Whatever it is that's next to to the baby that the baby can can start working on to so develop a lot of the comprehension and their understanding skills would be very beneficial. Um, games, activities, turn-taking games, working on, you know, games that involve cause and effect. So you do something and then something happens. That's a great skill and a great opportunity to engage with your baby. And nobody understands this more than I do, which is we're so busy and it's so easy sometimes to just turn on the TV and give an iPad or give the phone and just let them do their thing. And it's nice and it's quiet. And for sure it happens in everybody's home. And if somebody doesn't do it, that's, pretty impressive. Yeah. But if you can allocate just a few minutes a day, preferably a little in the morning and a little bit in the afternoon, whenever you can, and just spend the time playing games and interacting or even tickling or, you know, doing all sorts of fun games really help to foster both the language aspect and the social and emotional connections that babies really thrive on and learn from. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, what about situations where children so most of what you talked about was how to encourage the language skills for the child to understand everything that you're saying how would you recommend that besides all of that and that parents encourage the expressive language so i have i would say one of the most common questions i got in practice would be you know that 14 15 to 17 month old that understands everything that mom and dad are saying, but doesn't have a lot of words themselves. And um, I'd be curious to say, to hear what you uh, offer as advice for that. I mean, I know what I usually recommended, but um, you are the professional. Thank you. So it, first of all, I always want to make sure that along with 
you know, the baby who understands, we always want to look at the overall picture of a child. So we want to make sure that the baby can seem to be hearing okay. Um, so we want to rule out any kind of fluid in the ears or, or any kind of circumstance that could be related to more of a hearing situation. And then we also want to make sure that other elements of communication are there, meaning is the child pointing? Is the child making good eye contact? Those are the things we definitely want to rule out right off the start. We want to make sure that we are ruling those things. And, and other than that, it's just that the child is not picking up on more words. And what I do with that is oftentimes, again, a lot of modeling, a lot of modeling. So oftentimes I would offer families and I would say to them, the best way to really teach great language skills is have the baby sit in in a high chair and really pretend to almost be a therapist at that point and just do a lot of games and activities where the child can physically look at you and you could look at the baby so that there is that eye contact and you know that the child is kind of looking at the way you're saying things and paying more attention rather than kind of talk to them on the fly. This way you really are creating time to focus on language. And in that time you do puzzles and you could do a book and you could just narrate again, narrate a lot of words around and any kind of a sound that a baby makes at that stage, you want to really reinforce and you really want to develop. So if a child says meow, you want to say, yes, the cat says meow. And you don't even have to use so many words, cat meow. And we just want to keep it very simple at the beginning so the kids can really pick up on the words. And then eventually you can develop more the sentence structure. But at the beginning, it's perfectly fine to talk to babies in a very simplistic way so that they, they have an easier time picking up the words. So those are the kind of things that we would do. Lots of games, lots of talking, lots of conversation, lots of singing um, that really help to reinforce language. And as much as possible, create situations for the baby to be able to communicate his needs. So as parents, and when we have siblings in the house, it's very common that we all intuitively know what this baby needs. So really the baby doesn't have so many opportunities to use these language skills. <laughs> um, and we become their speakers. So especially if there's a nanny or a grandma that's dotting over and making sure that the baby's needs are being met, it reduces the opportunities to communicate and express and the need to do that. Because if you know that baby's up from the crib and he's going to want to be picked up, give him a chance to kind of try to communicate that to you um, and, and reinforce the word up up every time you go into the, the crib and you want to pull the baby out, you want to say the word up, 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 up. And eventually neurotypical child will start picking up on that. It might take five times. It might take 25 times, but eventually they do pick up on that cue and they'll start to try to imitate that up and whatever they do to imitate it, you're going to reinforce because that's the first step of communication. Yeah. I love that advice of not speaking for the baby. I did have a couple of parents tell me that when their uh, three or four-year-old went to preschool, then suddenly the baby started talking more because the four-year-old was speaking for the baby all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Family dynamics make a huge difference in how a child develops. On the other hand, you can say, I'm sure you see it in your own house. The younger kids pick up language in a different way because there's so much language going on in the house also. Yeah. And so sometimes not the language up. you want them to pick exactly. up. <laughs> it's amazing how that's the stuff that they pick up so quickly. <laughs> but it's exactly that. We want to make sure that we are on the one hand modeling a lot of language, but also giving them an opportunity to to communicate that language that they're picking up. So set up situations where they need to use their language a little bit more and don't be so attentive, even though intuitively that's what you want to do, give them an opportunity to try to 
to say, you know, a bottle or juice or water or something so that they start using their skills and understand, oh, if I make this sound, this thing happens. This is a good thing and work from there. Yeah, I love that. And then as they get a little bit older, what would your recommendations be? I think that parents just assume that things will fall into place. And, you know, I don't, I can't even say what it is that I do to encourage language in my older children. And when I say older children, it could be even, you know, kindergarten to fourth or fifth grade, you know, and then I'm sure there's even more different things that you can do in middle schoolers to help them as well. So, you know, again, going back to this idea of taking the time to speak with your middle schoolers, share ideas with them, create game nights. Game nights are a fantastic way within a family, within the structure of a family to talk about, to develop language skills, to develop very, very valuable turn-taking skills, meaning my turn your turn. Sometimes you're going to win a game and sometimes you may not. And it's a really good opportunity to work on sportsmanship skills within the home where it's safe and you can really teach your child how to go to work through when you don't win or when you win or what are some, you know, appropriate things to say and do in those kind of situations. So games are really a great way to develop language, even watching a movie or a TV show or even a commercial for that matter. Having conversations with your kids, pausing the TV show and having them talk to you about, oh, and you can even ask a question like, what do you think is going to happen next? Or, oh my goodness, this just happened. Why did this happen? And have the kids share with you what they're seeing um, and making watching TV time not so passive for them. It's a great opportunity for you to learn a lot about their world and where they're coming from and what their perceptions are and maybe some clarify some some questions or or conversations that they might come up with that. And they sometimes have the best conversations come out out of talking about, uh, you know, a TV episode or commercial that came up that was very intriguing or made you think about something. So just taking these opportunities to talk about things that are going on are very, very valuable and really help to foster language development. Having kids help you organize a meal and follow recipe. That's a great opportunity to practice following directions or practice measuring and math. I mean, I twice it already happened that my son was fantastic at, you know, following the Duncan Hines kickbox, but he left a step. He left an ingredient and it didn't taste so great. And that's the best way to learn that, oops, if you skip a step, it's going to affect the way your cake is going to taste. So these are life opportunities, life lessons that are fantastic way to learn. Take your kids with you to the supermarket. Talk to them about what you see in the supermarket. Talk about the difference between fruits and vegetables. You'd be surprised how many kids can't even categorize fruits and vegetables. They kind of get confused and they just think they just appear in the house and they forget that there is a step that you go to the market and you pick it up and you get it from there. And you could talk about like, you know, do a scavenger hunt in the supermarket or get them to follow a list with you. Any kind of opportunities to chat with them is, is wonderful. Sharing a book. If they're reading a book for school, this is a great opportunity for you also to buy the book and read it along with them. Um, and talk about what's going on in the book. It's, I think it's these times of taking time out from what you're doing as a parent and as a caregiver and really having and, and creating the structure for conversation at home, I think is very, very valuable. Yeah. And it gives, it also sort of adds the value of giving them that one-on-one -on -one attention mm -hmm. that they crave and they need and they want so badly. The emotional connections. We really, the yeah. family is that unit that you need to feel safe and you want to be able to express yourself and be able to share ideas. And 
it really helps to create great emotional connection. So when there are some bumps along the way and there are some issues that come up, it's much easier to handle them because the unit is is much stronger. Absolutely. Um, I just, I want to jump, just kind of touch on this idea because I have a lot of parents who tell me, well, my kids, you know, they have great friends and what they, what do they do together with their friends? They are all on Fortnite and watching, you know, games and doing a lot of gaming. Um, and I think it's just something to keep in mind that even if that's what, what they're engaging in, there's still room for a parent to step in and kind of create conversations around where the kids are. So it's oftentimes that we want to be driving the conversation and we want things to center around the things that we do and we want the kids to participate in our conversation. But it's also important as a parent to kind of get into their world and learn from them a little bit what interests they have, where the people they're talking with, um, what are their relationship, what are the connections. These type of things, I think, are great opportunities for kids to learn some valuable social connections. Um, I know we think of, com- of conversations as a typical way of socializing and a friend come over and we're having a play date. But today's play dates are a little bit different. They just, by the nature of the world that we live in, not everybody sees play dates as the ones that kids come over to my house. Sometimes play dates are over the internet and are through games and other kind of um, modalities. So it's just important to keep that in mind. And, and for some kids, that's a great option to meet like-minded kids. Um, and it's important for you as a parent to kind of be involved in that as well. Yeah, definitely. That make that's a great point. Well, thanks. I really appreciate everything that you've said. I think that it gives me personally and I, hopefully everyone listening some good tips and different things to try. We are getting into holiday season. And I think that a question on a lot of people's minds are, what are the best things that we can get for the people on our list in different age groups that will be more valuable in terms of their development than things that they may want, but might not be as useful for them in their future? So I think this, this is a great time of the year and I, I'm so happy that you, you know, have me talk about this. I think games, like I said before, that's a great opportunity to create a lot of fun memories for, for families. Um, and I'm actually going to start from, from the older kids and move my way back down to the little people. Um, the older kids, what I find is very interesting and I hear that from a lot of parents. The best predictor, whether or not the game will be used or not used, believe it or not, is whether or not the parent is interested in the game. So choose a game based on something that you would find interesting. It's more likely that you guys will use the game and engage and have a family game night if it's a game that you find is somewhat interesting versus a game that you find like, oh my goodness, there's no way I'm going to be doing this right now. It's just so boring and I'm not interested. Um, so I think that's something very much the parents should keep in mind. It's not necessarily about the games that the kids would like. I think the kids will follow your leads. So if it's a game that you are committed and passionate about and find interesting and fun, your child will follow and want to play with you as well. So I think that's something kind of like out there that we should keep in mind. And a lot of the ga- the companies now are, are kind of bringing back a lot of the older games that we used to play. Yeah. Um, and I think it's for that purpose exactly. It's like to bring back the good memories that we have from the games. Um, and in order to in- increase the likelihood that the games will be used. Um, but having said that, ga- depending on the age of the child, games that involve strategy, planning, turn-taking, conversation are always the preferred game. Um, in, in my, of course, in my line of work, that's the kind of games that we want to encourage. We want to bring attention to, um, 
and whether it's Monopoly or we, I absolutely love the game, um, headbands where you yeah, quite love that game. too. I love the game. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, that, and guess who for that age group, it's a great way to talk about details, to pay attention, to follow instructions, to take turns. So, and these games tend to not be very long, which is very much appreciated by families too. Um, so I think it kind of works both ways. Um, and the kids really do enjoy it. And just like you, you, you really nailed it when you said kids want the undivided attention of their parents. So if it's all possible, put away your devices for a little bit and just really sit there and engage with your kids. It really makes a big difference in their perception of what the experience was like rather than say, Oh yeah, we played a game, but my mom was texting the whole time or they was texting in between, you know, turns. It's okay to just sit and, you know, be able to play the game. Yeah, that's a and challenge for a lot of families. It is, and I, it is. I totally understand it, but we've been trying to do that in our home um, too. What are some of the challenges that you think these parents are facing when you suggest um, game nights and different activities like this? What are the, the most frustrating points for them? More and more families that we speak to also tend to say, well, I can't really play a board game because the other kids are jealous and they're not playing and and they're too small or it just doesn't work for them. And then at the end, we end up with, you know, a situation where nobody's happy and then it becomes just this very uncomfortable and unpleasant experience. So it's important to choose some a game that, like I said, the, fa- the parents are going to be invested and interested in playing as well as making sure that it meets the child's developmentally. You don't want to go with a game that's going to be way too hard and way too challenging and way too many rules Depending on the kid's age, it's like, you know, a seven-year-old can only hold on to a few rules at a time. If you're going to start creating a game that involves so many rules, it makes a big difference. But I do have to say that working with siblings, it's important when they start to play a game together. And I always make my boys do that. I, I go in there and I make sure that they know what the rules are. Because if not, halfway through the game, it's like, no, but this is the rule. You, this is how you play this game. And this is how you play. And each one starts to make up their own rules. And then it becomes a very unpleasant uh, experience to say the least. There's a lot yeah. of yelling. So it's important to kind of state at the very beginning of the game. Okay. What are the rules that we need to follow? How are we playing this game so that there's no miscommunication halfway through the game? Oh, but I didn't know we're doing it this way. I didn't know. I didn't think that this is how we're playing it or we're playing a different kind of rule or a different type of a game. So as long as we're clear on the rules, it's a great thing to do when you play with your kids and teach your kids to do it as well. Let's talk about what are the rules so we know what we're, where we are. Um, it creates a lot less, it reduces the conflicts for sure. Such a great suggestion. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sometimes I have to remember that, but I've been doing it more and more. And I have to tell you, it's, it made game time a lot more pleasant. Yeah. Um, and you don't think of it, if especially yeah. if it's a game they play often, you just right. don't think of it because, oh, well, they know how to play this game. But you're right. They When they're not winning, <laughs> they tend right. to come up with different rules. Absolutely to make, and it's incredible how quickly they can come up with those rules. It's like, wait, that's not what we did last week. Yes, I'm telling you, that's how they play in my school. So you kind of want to just kind of, because again, the idea is we want to keep it fun. The moment it's going to become a confrontational, unpleasant time, it's less likely that the family will do it. So we want to try to reduce all those other things that can happen to make sure that when you are devoting the time to the game, it's really about having a good time together. Um, and working constructively on issues rather than like, you know, backpelling and now creating rules and then nobody's happy. 
And what would be a realistic um, suggestion from you on how often there should be a family game night or something like this? Listen, (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. There isn't really an expectation of how many times. I would say at the very, very least, once a week would be amazing. On a weekend, preferably if possible, or, you know, during a weeknight. But I get that it's very hard to schedule and it's very hard to meet everybody's needs. But either you can either do one night, one time it could be a game night and one time it could be a movie night. It doesn't always have to be a game night for every, you know, every week. So you can vary it. So sometimes we watch movies that are the classics. So we have our kids watch these movies that we grew up on and clearly are not showing anywhere. And then we make sure to download them and have them watch them. And it's, it's very funny to see their reactions to the movie and, and even the special effects and, you know, Jaws to them was hysterical. And I remember watching it and being petrified. So it, it, they're different and it's a great opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, our experiences and bringing that and sharing that with them. So teaching them how to share their feelings and and experiences and stuff like that. The more we model those things, the more likely it is that they will learn how to do it. Yeah, it's actually it's funny that you say that. We we've been watching Full House with the girls, yes. and we watch it on Hulu. And they're not allowed to go ahead in episodes, right? So they can watch the ones we've seen if they have mm-hmm. TV time and they want to, but they can't move ahead. And we often stop it and talk about it. And just even their reaction to what life was like mm-hmm. back then and how, you know, and we talk about all of it. We tell them how, when we were watching, we had to wait a whole week for the new episode and we couldn't fast forward. And if you missed the episode, like you missed it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just those nuances are so lost on them today that it's really fun to bring them into our our world a little bit. Absolutely. And it's a great way to talk about comparing and contrasting. What was it like in, you know, in 1998 versus in 2018? You know, those are the kind of things that you could, you incorporate so many language skills, just comparing and contrasting and talking about these things. And you've now did a whole activity with your child and you talked about things and you introduced them to new vocabulary and new experiences and you made them think about what things were like, um, all great skills that we take for granted. But these kind of conversations bring out these, this type of, this type of language that is so beneficial. So then when a child needs to write an essay by comparing and contrasting, it's so much easier for them because they have, they've already done it verbally. They've done it orally. They kind of can then understand what the teacher is explaining in a way that is much more realistic to them than just what is comparing and contrasting. On when you need to write an essay. So doing these type of activities really help to solidify a lot of the academic skills that are so necessary. Um, and unfortunately, by the time kids enter school, if they're not exposed to it, it, it makes it so much harder to understand what the teacher is talking about. Yeah, that's true. So what are the toys that you would recommend for this holiday season for kids who maybe are too young to really play a board game? I love Legos and I am not a spokesperson for Legos and I hate the Legos when I step on them in the middle of the night and I want to scream <laughs> somebody left a Lego piece somewhere. But I think it is such a great opportunity for kids to create and build and, and really develop skills that I think are fantastic. And I don't necessarily talk, 
you know, there's some kids who love to follow the instructions and then create these structures and they never take them apart because that's it, they're done. And then a lot of kids will create the structures. They followed all the instructions, which was great. And then they will rebuild something else. And both are wonderful. One is for following directions, the Lego. I sometimes look at these books and I, I give up before I even attempt at following the directions. And then creating your own structures and I think is a fabulous way um, to to develop some of these skills. So dress up, I think, is wonderful. Having kids play with you, uh, be with you side by side in the kitchen is a great way to to develop some skills. Um, so all those things give us opportunities to talk and to to chat. Play-Doh, Play-Doh, you know, as messy as he gets, is wonderful, and it really helps to to. Again, imaginative play, open play. It's not following any rules or any structure. It gives a kid an opportunity to develop their own rules and structures. And I think that's really very, very important. Yeah. And a reminder that in order to develop this, the language part, you're sort of talking through the whole process with them. Absolutely. Lang- learning Play is really all about learning. When you play, you're learning a skill. So for a parent, when a parent sees a kid play, that is their opportunity to really act out a lot of their knowledge and a lot of their information. So it's really so critical to allow time in the day for play um, and, and imaginative play and open play. Um, and I think that's something that parents really can can help foster, just giving the time to sit down and do their own thing with their games would be wonderful. It's not about buying new, new toys every um, season. It's recycling some of the old toys. You know, when you get a lot of toys at the beginning of the year, put a few of them aside and then recycle them. A child should, you should not be walking to somebody's house and feel like it's the entire Toys R Us store in the house. Kids don't need a lot of toys. They just need a lot of opportunities to engage with things around their environment, but it doesn't have to be a toy that comes in a box. Um, and I think that's one of the things, I mean, oftentimes parents would cause and say, you know, my kid is just so inattentive. He doesn't seem to be sticking to anything. He doesn't seem to be able to play with one thing at a time. And I, I walk into their homes and it's the entire Toys R Us, you know, toy aisle in their house. And I, I look at the parents and I say, if you just put away 75% of what you have here, you'll still have plenty to play with. It's not about the quantity. It's you really want to leave only a few things out and available to them. Let them engage with it. Let them play with it. Let them interact with it. It's not about having a million toys. It's about what do they do with the toys that they have. Yeah, that's great advice too. Yeah, I love that. And then for the babies? Babies. So babies, we love puzzles. You know, the the wooden puzzles, even the three-piece puzzles that they can kind of play and match is great. The pop-up toys that they hit and something pops up from it. The cause and effect toys are wonderful. Something lights up when I touch. It's a great way to reinforce learning. Um, what else do we do with babies? A lot of opportunities to be on their tummies when they're really babies and play on their tummies. It really helps with their whole body and their, their sensory system developing. Um, and it teaches them a lot of great motor skills. So tummy time is really, really, really crucial. And it's crucial for speech development and language development as well. So we really want to give the kids an opportunity to be on their tummies and look at things from that perspective of be- being on their tummies. Uh, of course, always monitors, always watch um, carefully, but we want to just give them the opportunity to be on their tummies. Um, so definitely, I would say that's something um, that would be very, very valuable. Uh, Can you explain for a second how the tummy time helps speech development? 
So first and foremost, it creates the motor skills that are necessary and the muscle tone that is necessary to hold the head up. Um, there's a lot of sensation and a lot of learning that takes place from a baby rubbing their, their cheeks and their faces into a mat and lifting their heads up. So things along those lines that are people don't think of them necessarily as, as an opportunity to develop language skills, but by being on their tummies and strengthening their neck muscles and their back muscles and their shoulders and their arms and, and pulling themselves up, they're learning about their environment from that point of view. And it helps to also hold their head up. So it helps them to then be able to use their their muscles better when it comes to speaking, they, their muscles are stronger. We see a lot less issues when it comes to drinking and eating and feeding issues and articulation issues and coordination um, with babies that spend quality time on their tummies rather than the babies who are more on their backs. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah we, we really see a lot of uh, correlation between their their overall development as well as their time on their tummies and allowing them time to play also which is great like you don't always have to be right there talking to them but giving them an opportunity to their their own exploration with the toys and the games as of course while you're there monitoring but just to give them an opportunity so they're learning to kind of figure out for themselves how to engage and how to interact that's great. So I'm going to have a list of specific toys that are um, in the categories that Avivit mentioned. And, um, and I think that the, it really does help when you're trying to think of what to get these little ones on your list um, to get them something that you know will be useful for them for their development. Um, and I'm sure the parents will be thankful for that as well. Um, and, I guess um, as we end this podcast episode, Avivit, how would the audience find you um, if they would like to connect with you on a on a separate level? Absolutely. First of all, again, thank you for this amazing opportunity. I've so enjoyed the questions, and this this conversations can go on for hours. I think both of you and I have a lot a lot that we can share. So it's been really very interesting. Um, our website is greatspeech.com, G R E A T speech s-p-e-c-h dot com um and in there there is a tab on the top right that's uh you can request a complimentary consultation i'd be more than happy to meet with anybody or if there are any questions you can email me at avivit at greatspeech.com i'm happy to always answer questions um if you have any questions on the podcast itself you can even i'm sure put a comment in the in your website and i'd be happy to to answer so any which way that helps you guys find me. I'm happy to speak with you. Um, again, greatspeech.com. And, um, you know, our goal from, from our perspective, my goal is to help children and adults really reach their maximum potential and communicate as best as they can. So anything that I could do to help bring that to life is what I enjoy doing the most. So any questions, big or, big or small, I'm happy to answer. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Raiseology podcast. Head over to www.raiseology.com where you'll find plenty of You've Got This resources for parents and any links or tools mentioned in today's show. Be sure to hit subscribe on your podcatcher so that you can listen to the next episode the minute it's out. Until next time, have an empowered week.